Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Bibles, I invite your attention to the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter number six. Isaiah chapter number six, and I want to read through this known, very known passage, but maybe give you a look at things that you've never considered before. We'll start there with verse one, chapter number six of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants. And the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away. There be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tenth. It shall be a tenth. He's talking about a remnant here. It shall return. And it shall be eaten as a teal tree, as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves so the holy seed 
shall be the substance thereof. There's a lot that is packed into those 13 verses of Scripture. But I want to look back at at verse number 1 here. It said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I saw also the Lord. And I just want to preach for your consideration from this thought tonight. When you see the Lord. When you see the Lord. I want him to come. I want to see him. I want to see him in this service tonight. I want to see his spirit manifest in this house in some way. Amen. If you desire to see him before you leave tonight, why don't you lift up your hands with me. And let's pray together again right now that the Lord would move, his spirit would work, and his perfect will would be done. Would you cry aloud unto the Lord right now? Lord Jesus, we are asking you, God, to move in this place. Let your will be done in this house. Let your glory come down. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you, God. Would you give him a hand clap of praise before you're seated? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. When you see the Lord, you know, of all the things that we could speak about tonight, of all the things that we could focus upon that could be the central theme of this service, I cannot think of anything more important than seeing the Lord. I know that that's a pretty broad statement. I understand that none of us can actually say that we have seen Him Per se, but we have definitely seen manifestations of Him. We've seen the work of God. And so you do understand what I mean when I say, see the Lord. I want to see His presence working. I, I want to see His will done in our lives. I want to see the promises that He has given to us in His Word fulfilled in this church. I want to see the revival that he desires to give to this community, to this city. I want to see that fulfilled. I want to see it with these eyes. I want to see all the miracles that God wants to give to this church. I want to see them fulfilled. I don't want to miss any of them. I want to be an eyewitness of the glory and the majesty of God like people out of the holy word of God as they would pray that very same prayer. God, I want to see your majesty. I want to see your glory. And the truth is, we usually see what we are looking for, what we're focused on. And if you came to see the working of the Lord tonight, you can. And I would wager to say that you will see the working of the Lord. We should see the Lord in every song. We should really see the Lord in every message that is preached. We should see the Lord in every church service that we congregate in. We should see the Lord as we look into His Word in every Bible verse that we read. We should 
be encouraged and we should see the Lord in that. Matter of fact, when we look around at God's people and we look at people that are praising and worshiping God and people that are seeking God and crying out to God and praying, we should see the Lord in that. We should see the Lord in the hunger of a child that is seeking the Holy Ghost. We should see the Lord in in the countenance of an elderly person that is lifting up their feeble hands unto God, worshiping and glorifying His name. When we come to the house of the Lord, it's important that we see Him. And I know many of us have read this particular passage of Scripture, and as I've already stated, it's power-packed. In just about every verse, you could derive a subject to preach upon. But uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, it begins really with a terrible tragedy. This king, King Uzziah, who was ruler over Judah, had reigned over Judah for a long period of time, 52 years. That's a long time for anyone to be in the capacity of a leader, much less over an entire nation of people. But for 52 years especially in the first part of his reign, you would have to say that he was a very popular and a very powerful and influential leader over Judah. Matter of fact, when you would use the term uh, king, uh, when you're talking about the Old Testament, when you describe and define kings uh, in the Old Testament, there's some of them that we pass over because... uh, They did not lead such a good life. There's some that nothing really remarkable happens during their reign. And so there's really nothing historically that we can look back to and recount. Uh, No real victories that are won. No real things that are conquered. No real conquests that they led. But that is not so with King Uzziah. Uzziah was a very powerful and, again, influential king. And he led during a very prosperous time in Judah. He was victorious in many different ways and led the people to victory over their enemy. So much so that as he experienced popularity and influence and even felt the blessings and the anointing of God upon his life, that he began to feel that possibly it was him that had brought these things to pass. Something about his own ability, something to do with his own intellect, something to do with his own giftings and talents that has brought all of this as far as prosperity to pass in the land of Judah. And I think this is an important point because all of us, would uh, behoove ourselves to always remember that it's God that brings the blessing in our life. If we have anything, if we can boast of anything, if we can look over our life and there's any prosperity, if there's any blessing, we need to always remember the giver of that gift. We need to never forget that if it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side, as the psalmist said, What would have become of me? What would have happened in my life? And what would have become of my life if it wasn't for the goodness of God? And so we always need to keep that at the forefront of our minds. And if we do, it's easy to stay humble. 
It's easy to always remember to worship the Lord. It's, it's easy to remember to come and, and seek Him and pray for His direction when you understand that I rely upon Him. And if there's anything good that has came to me in my lifetime, it's because of God and His blessings upon me. But somewhere along the way, King Uzziah forgot about this. And the Scripture says that he took it upon himself to do the duties of a priest and went into the house of God in the holy presence of the Lord to do what only a priest lawfully was supposed to do. Thinking that he would get by, thinking that he could take it upon himself because he was king and ruler of the land and because of the position that he held, nobody could question him. And I can't even imagine how the priest must have felt as he passed by him and entered in to the presence of God. He knew that this was a very dreadful thing that Uzziah was partaking of. And I don't know if he felt it. I, I seem to believe that he must have when he experienced that moment when leprosy come upon him. He knew distinctly when it was that it happened. He was struck with leprosy, judged by God. And when he left the house of the Lord, he did not leave in the same condition in which he had came, but judgment had been placed upon him. God had made a breach upon him. And he was uh, a leper, leprous man from that very moment. And that's important to note because in that day, if an individual was to contract leprosy, it was a death sentence. But not only that, this man, no matter how prestigious he was, what position or power that he held in the land, he would have to be banished. He would have to be placed in a several house, separated from the rest of society. Never would he be able to fellowship among the people. The very thing that had brought him so much pride, the very thing that he boasted in the most, and that was leading the people and the prestige and the position that he held over the people. This was the very thing that he would no longer be able to enjoy because in his pride he went into the presence of the Lord unlawfully and he was struck with leprosy. In the last 20 years or so of his life, he lived alone. He lived as a leper And then he finally died. This man that had once won so many victories, this one that had experienced so many times of leading conquests for God's people, this man that was a conqueror, this man that had been so powerful, now was brought so low. And the Bible said in the year that King Uzziah died. This man that all of of Judah had looked up to had fallen. And uh, it's important to note that that is not the end of the story, but it's really this the beginning of what Isaiah is trying to convey here. Because in the first five chapters of Isaiah, he gives us some very prolific passages and writings and recordings of what God has shown to him and revealed to him. But there there is a change that takes place with chapter 6. And most theologians will agree that there's like a shifting of gears 
Whatever he had wrote before, whatever he had experienced before, there is a difference, a notable difference that takes place from chapter 6 on as he writes to the end of the book. And so many prophetic things are promised to us through the prophet Isaiah, the coming of the Messiah, how Calvary would unfold and how that it would take place is all revealed to us in the book of Isaiah. And so when King Uzziah died, we can say that something happened. Something cataclysmic took place in the life of this prophet that changed him forever. And he says it this way, I saw also the Lord. This was not just a terrible event and a tragic event that took place, and that's the end of the story. But in this tragedy, there was something triumphant that come out of it. In this trial that I went through, there was something tremendous that I was able to see. And I was able to recognize that I had never recognized before. A revelation came to me that I had never received before. But I saw also the Lord. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we get so fixated on our problems. We, we get so focused on what we are going through and how bad it is and how difficult the situation is in our life that we don't look around and realize the hand of God is out there somewhere and God is working in that circumstance even while things that are bad are going on. Sometimes something good is lurking right there within our grasp. If we'll only recognize it, if we'll only reach out and receive If we'll only see what God is doing. He thought, uh, amen, that when King Uzziah died, that was the end of it all. We'll never see a king like that king. We'll never have victory like we used to have. We'll never enjoy the prosperity that we used to enjoy. Oh, no, Isaiah, you're going to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're going to see him like you've never seen him before. I've come to preach to somebody. No matter. No matter what you face right now, look around you. There's something good that God is trying to reveal. There's something good that God is trying to show you even in the midst of your trial. Oh, somebody ought to clap their hands and give praise to it. Hallelujah. He said, I saw the Lord. Now, now when he said this, I want you to understand that this was not something that was common for very many people. Throughout the Word of God, I only find two people, this man, Isaiah, and John the Revelator, that had a similar experience. The Bible tells us these were the only men that were ever invited into the throne room of God, that ever was an eyewitness to the very throne room of the Lord. And we know that both of them said some of the very same things. They, they begin to describe what they saw and what they experienced when they entered in to that throne room. One of the things uh, that they both recorded was that they saw four beings that was in that throne room. Uh, there was four seraphims, Isaiah calls them. These are angelic beings, and they're unlike any that we read about anywhere else in the Scripture. And I've often looked at that and studied that because it isn't anywhere else that we see this this kind of terminology that is used. But it seems that these angels only have one purpose, 
in the throne room of God. And that is uh, that always and perpetually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, of course, they don't mark time like you and I mark time. They don't have a calendar. None of them have a watch. None of them are concerned about the time. But if we had to mark time, it's always and perpetually always around the throne they're worshiping the Lord crying holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory they no sooner get finished saying that statement and they begin it all over again. They never weary with it. They never get tired of it. Some of us get tired of praising God. Some of us get weary with prayer. Some of us get weary with coming to the house of God, but they're in the presence of the Lord all the time. And they never weary with praising the Lord. They never get through saying that statement, how holy God is, until they begin it all over again. I'm going to tell you, that's just how holy our God is. You can never get through praising Him. You can never get through worshiping Him. It doesn't matter how much we praise Him tonight. He'll be worthy that much and more when we get back here the next service time. It doesn't matter how much we praise Him this weekend. Amen. When we get back here next weekend, He's still holy. He's still worthy. He's still deserving. He still deserves our praise. He still deserves our worship unto Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. I never, I never find where these angels have a sick day. I don't find where these angels say, you know, I'm just flat tired of doing this. I'm just flat tired. Oh no. Always and continually worshiping the Lord. Always crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. That's a magnificent statement, folks. The whole earth is full of His glory. You look around and what you see in this earth is trouble and problems. What you need to do is lift your perspective and see that the earth is really filled with the glory of God. There is really revival. There's really potential. There's really miracles. There's really supernatural power. If we can only recognize it and see it, help us to have the perception of heaven, the whole Oh, earth is filled with his glory. Yeah, you look in your family and you see challenges. You look at your checkbook and you see financial crisis. You look on your job and you see trouble. But God tells us tonight, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. It's all about what you're focusing on, folks. Amen. I feel like working that over just a little bit. I may not even get to all my points tonight. But I just tell you, it's all about what you're looking for because you're probably going to see what you're looking for. You come to church, the church is filled with the glory of God. Oh, you can find something to complain about. Amen. You can find something to, to fuss about. You can find some imperfection somewhere if that's what you choose to focus on. You can find something to be aggravated about if that's what you choose to focus on. But if you realize God's mercy endureth forever. If you realize, amen, His grace has been extended to me and it's sufficient 
solution for every trouble and every problem that I have. If you realize that his redemption reached to where I was, hey, you could still be a drug addict tonight, but you're in the house of God. You ought to get on your feet. You ought to give a shout of praise unto the Lord. You could still be addicted tonight, but you're in the house of God. You ought to give a shout of praise and dance before the Lord. Hallelujah, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Hallelujah, come on, let's clap our hands and give a little praise unto our God tonight. Yes, yes, amen. So I want to, I want to talk about some of these things. And uh, first of all, I want to talk about how powerful that, that worship was. Now the Bible says the post the posts of that throne room were moved at the voice of them that cried. Is that what it says? The voice. Now, I'm going to tell you, this was not, this was not doorposts made with man's hands. This is the throne room of God. I would think that would be a for, pretty formidable thing. I would think that would be something that is solid and stable. But yet their praise was so powerful that when they begin to cry holy, the post of the door was moved at the voice of them that cry. I'm going to tell you, when you start worshiping God in faith, when you get out of yourself and out of your problems and you get to focusing on God and how great He is, and you start worshiping Him, there's not nothing that won't move when an apostolic start praising God. There's nothing that can't happen when an apostolic gets outside of themselves and, and says, you know what? I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to put my problems down at the pew and I'm just going to dance before the Lord tonight. I'm going to give praise to him and I'm going to magnify his name. Hallelujah. Praise God. When you come to church and it's not just about patty caking and going through the motion, but your focus is upon the Lord. Something powerful can happen in the house of God. Hallelujah. 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 And the scripture tells us that Isaiah saw, when he saw the Lord, that he saw some things and some things happened to him when he got his focus on God. And I want to talk about those things. First of all, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he was comforted. Anybody need any comfort in this world that we're living in? Isaiah chapter number one said, I saw, or chapter number six and verse one says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. In other words, I saw him in a position of control. I saw him, the Bible said, that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Bible tells us that he sits on the circle of the earth. It tells us that when Isaiah saw him, he saw him in control of the situation. So he was comforted by that. I know we're hearing about war in Ukraine and we're hearing about inflation and we're hearing about governmental problems and, and societal unrest and, and all of these things that are going on in our world today. But I come to report to you that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And because he's still on the throne, he's still in control. He's high and lifted up, he said. He saw him in a position 
of being exalted. And when we lift up him in our lives, we're placing him on the throne. We're placing him in control. When you lift up your hands and you give a shout of praise unto God and you worship God and you thank the Lord, what you're saying is, God, this is out of my control, but it's in your control. My health is in your control. My family is in your control. My job situation is in your control. Amen. Everything that's going on in our world, rather than worry and fret and have anxiety over it, you're in control, God. I'm just going to lift you up. I'm just going to exalt your name. I'm just going to glorify you. Come on, let's lift up our voices unto the Lord. Somebody lift him up high. Somebody right now, praise him and glorify him and lift him up. Not only was he comforted because he knew he was in control and that he was in an exalted place, but he also seen him victorious because he said, and his train filled the temple. Now, now that was a custom for kings of that day in that eastern culture. It was a custom that every time a king would go forth to battle and he would win, and I know you've probably heard this, when he would win a victory, there was a story of that victory that was embroidered upon a cloth and it was attached to a part of his garment, his royal robe, and a long train would begin to develop. And some of these kings that had reigned for a long period of time and been victorious in several battles, these this this 12 to 16 inch long piece of cloth would be attached and a long train would begin to develop behind him. And sometimes a, a train could, could reach 12 feet, to maybe even if he was real successful, 14, 15 feet long. But when Isaiah saw your king, when he saw the Lord of Lords, when he saw that one that is victorious over every situation, he said his train was not just 12 feet long or 14 feet long or even 16 feet long, but his train filled the entire, everywhere you looked, there was victory. You couldn't look anywhere in the house of God that there wasn't victory. Everywhere I looked, the enemy was defeated. Everywhere I looked, God gave us a conquering spirit. Everywhere I looked, I was able to overcome. I was able to see that God is victorious. I come preaching to somebody tonight. When we start worshiping the Lord in this house, when we start praising and magnifying God as He deserves to be praised in this place, when we look around, we're going to see victories all across this building. We can see victories of healing and deliverance and salvation. People being set free. People receiving miracles that they need from God. Come on, let's put him on the throne right now. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus right now. Hallelujah! 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 Well, I feel like praising him right now. Not only was he comforted when he saw the Lord, but also this passage tells us that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he was convicted. Because verse 5 says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, 
He said, I knew Uzziah. I knew him to be a fleshly king that was very powerful and prosperous and reigned for 52 years. But now I've seen the king, if you know what I mean. I've seen the one that's really in control. I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. This is not the king of Judah. This is the Lord of hosts that I'm witnessing. And the Bible tells us when he saw him, he said, I am undone. I'm, I'm unclean. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I live in a, in a world that is filled with sin and filth and corruption. I feel that. I live in that. I dwell in that. He was convicted. When you witness the holiness of God, it brings conviction. It brings, amen, it should bring a, a feeling of sacredness about the holiness of God. It should bring a feeling, I, I don't mean this in the term that the world describes fear but it should bring a fear and a pause to our heart what is that that's that awe and respect that this is the presence of god i hope we never lose that i hope we never lose that about about coming to church and being in the presence of god when the spirit of the lord moves i hope we never leave amen and we just joke and laugh and make fun of how people worship and how people give themselves and commit themselves to god i hope we never leave this place with an attitude that is cavalier. Amen. About the presence of God. But I hope when we leave this house, we leave with a jaw slack. We leave with a wonderment. We leave with a fresh appreciation. Hey, I realize he visited us. I saw the king. I saw the Lord of hosts. I recognize the presence of God was in that place. Caused him to search himself. It caused him, amen, to realize his need of God, that in his flesh there dwells no good thing. It caused him to realize that without him I can do nothing. It caused him to realize his fleshly limitations and how little he was when it comes to the bigness of God and the greatness of God. I'm going to tell you, there's none of us that are in this place that are able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. There's not one person in this house that doesn't rely upon the breath that you breathe is given to you by God. The breath that you breathe is because of the mercies of God. Amen. You're in this place and your heart is beating tonight because God has given you life. And when you stand in the presence of the Lord, it isn't going to be how great I am, but it's going to say, woe is me. I realize how desperately I need God. I realize how woeful I am without God. I need the Lord to move. I have seen the king the lord of hosts amen something about a real visitation from god it brings that same reaction no matter where you read about it in the scripture that's that's the encounter that the apostle paul had on the road to damascus when he saw that great light and vision from heaven and a voice came and began to speak to him there was a woe is me moment. And the apostle Paul then Saul's life as he cried out and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Whatever it is that I got to do, whatever I got to do to be right with you, I realize 
I may have a moments ago had pride and I may have thought I had it going on and felt like I was fully in control of my life. But I realize I need you. I need your help. Has anybody feel that way in this house tonight? I need you, God. Situations are too big. Problems are too enormous. Amen. Challenges are too great for me to try to do this on my own. If you haven't figured it out yet, you will at some point in your life. You're going to need God. You're going to need to provide for you. You're going to need him to protect you. You're going to need him to sustain you. You're going to need his grace. You're going to need his comfort. You're going to need him to guide you. You're going to face things that you're not going to know which way to go. Should I go to the left or should I go to the right? But if you could ever get in the presence of God, God will direct you. God will show you. God will reveal himself. And God will make a way for you. I think we ought to take a moment right now and pray and seek him and call on his name. Everybody in this building ought to lift up their voice to the Lord. Woe is me. Woe is me. For I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the same thing that happened when they saw those 120 get in the upper room, stumble out in the streets, drunk and intoxicated by the power of the Holy Ghost. There were some that mocked. There were some that didn't understand. There were some that questioned what was going on. There were some that accused and said these are full of new wine. But there was those that were sincere and honest of heart. Said, I don't know, but I'm feeling something different about this. And they said, what meaneth this? What's going on here? I haven't ever seen anything like this before. I'm going to tell you what we need is we need a visitation from God where people say, what meaneth this? I I didn't feel this the last place I went to church. I didn't feel this in the last church service I was in. I didn't get this down at the first traditional church in town. But I, I felt something here. I experienced something here. What is this? What meaneth this? The Bible said that as Peter began to preach, he drew the line. He didn't hold any punches back. He began to preach to them. He said, this same Christ that you crucified. He said, it's the one that you put in. You remember just a few days ago, you were in the streets saying, crucify him. Crucify him. The Lord, amen, has made him a redeemer. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And the Bible said in verse 37 that they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. They got stirred up at the preaching of the apostles. That's what old apostolic anointed preaching will do. It'll get you stirred up. It'll make you uncomfortable with your flesh. It'll make you uncomfortable with your carnality. It'll make you uncomfortable with your sin. If preaching doesn't stir you up, it isn't anointed. It isn't from God. But preaching ought to challenge us. Preach it ought to bring us up from where we are to a new place where we can see God high and lifted up. Pricked in their heart. They said, what shall we do? What do we got to do to get right 
What do we do to set this straight? What do we do to get this thing in order? What do we do? And it's there that Peter began to preach to them the plan of salvation. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. He began to preach to them once they were stirred up and convicted in their heart. Why? Because they had received a visitation from God like they had never experienced or seen before in their whole lives. We need a move of God to sweep through this place. And when it does, people are going to get convicted. I've seen people comforted and I've seen people convicted in the same service. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is in that place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But not only that, I'm so thankful that when the Lord moves on us and begins to minister to us and convict us, he doesn't just leave us in a convicted state. But there is a remedy. There's always an answer. There's always an end to what God begins and the process that he starts. And the Bible tells us that not only was Isaiah comforted, and not only was Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, convicted, but it tells us that he was also cleansed. Because in verse 6 it says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. When the Lord convicted him, he was wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to reconcile this? How am I going to fix this? I want to tell somebody in this room, if you feel convicted and if God moves on you, it's for a reason. But I'm thankful that you don't have to stand under it. If you have to live under it, it becomes condemnation. And condemnation is not of God. Conviction brings change. Conviction brings a remedy. God is trying to bring you to salvation when he convicts you. If you feel the heaviness of condemnation after you've asked God to forgive you, you just understand that's not from God. That's the devil trying to get up on your shoulder and tell you that you can never change, that you can never be different. But I want to preach to you tonight that conviction will always lead you to change. And that change that God wants to bring can come when he is willing to cleanse and wash us, amen, of every sin, of everything that we've committed, every bit of filth and carnality and the dirtiness of this world that we've accumulated in our lives can be cleansed. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that cleansing blood? Aren't you thankful that he is able to cleanse us from all of our iniquity and purge us from our sin? First John chapter number 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Everybody say faithful. And just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all Cleanse us. Amen. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't always, always that way. In the Old Testament, it was covering of sin. But in the New Testament, it's cleansing from sin. To cover it is to hide it. It's to put it off for a later time. 
is to deal with it at a later date. But after Calvary, that, that happened all the way up till Calvary. But after Calvary, you can be cleansed and you can be washed. You don't have to feel the weight. You don't have to feel the burden. You don't have to feel the heaviness. You don't have to be bowed low by that any longer. But you can be cleansed of that. And when you're cleansed of that, when I read about cleansing in the scripture, the Bible tells me that when Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy, that his flesh was like that of a baby. It was like an infant's child. It didn't, it wasn't weathered. It, it wasn't sun spotted. It wasn't scarred. There was no evidence that leprosy was ever there. I will tell you when God cleanses you, he takes away the evidence that sin was ever in your life. It doesn't matter what you used to be or where you came from or how far you came to get here. If you ever get cleansed, if you ever get washed in the blood of the Lamb, it's a cleansing flow. I said it's a cleanse. It can wash away your sins as far as the east is from the west. So he can remove your transgressions from you. Why don't you stand with me right now? Let's worship the Lord. Let's give praise to the Lord. Let's magnify him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody lift up your hands and let's give praise to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. So much of society tries to deal with the sin question on its own. They try, amen, through all their failed attempts, try to eradicate it and get it out. The stain is still there. The reminder is still there. It's still a burden that has to be bared. But I'm so thankful. The blood of Jesus can cleanse it. Washes. When he saw, he was comforted. He was convicted. He was cleansed. But finally, finally, when he saw the Lord, the final thing that I find in this passage is found in verse 8. He was commissioned, not only comforted, not only convicted, not only cleansed, but he was commissioned. Because in verse 8 it says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? The Lord was sending out a call, if you will. The Lord was issuing a challenge, if you will. Is there anybody that will go? Is there anybody that wants to serve me? Is there anybody that wants to do my work and will? Is there anybody that will stand in the gap, if you will, and take up the hedge? Is there anyone in Isaiah lifts up his hand after all he's experienced and he said I here I am Lord send me he said then I said here am I send me in other words don't overlook me 
don't look past me. If you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for somebody to anoint, if you're looking for somebody to put your hand of blessing on, if you're looking for somebody that's interested in doing your will in this last day, if you're looking for somebody that's interested in being used of you, if you're looking for somebody that's interested in revival, if you're looking for somebody that's interested in working for you, Lord, here I am, send me, Lord. I got a challenge for us tonight. It doesn't do much good to be comforted or convicted or even cleansed if you never get to this fourth phase and if you're never commissioned and if you never learn how to obey the call. You're stuck in a vicious cycle and it won't be long till you'll need to be comforted again. And it won't be long till you'll have to be convicted again for your, your, your inactivity and your, your lack of real, uh, fulfillment in the kingdom of God. It won't be long till you'll, you'll need uh, to be cleansed again of some things. Because that's just a vicious cycle. If you never get into this commissioning part, if you never get into this place of saying, God, I'm not just going to stay where I am and continue to be the same person that I've always been, but I'm stepping out and I'm going to do more and I'm going to be more for you. I'm not going to continue in this same vein that I've been in for years, but God, I hear your voice calling me. And God, if you're going to send anybody, send me. Is there anybody that hears that voice? Come on, I'm not going to plead tonight. Is there anybody that hears that voice? Is there anybody that wants to respond to that voice? Is there anybody, now that I've I've preached now for 40 minutes or so, is there anybody that hears that voice calling you? Come on. The word of the Lord has came to you tonight. It's your turn. It's your turn to respond to it. It's your turn to do something with it. It's your turn to put it into action. God, don't let me continue to to walk in this same vicious circle and be this same individual and person that I've always been. God, help me to break out of that and help me to be used of you and be led of you. Help me to be freshly anointed of you and directed of you. Come on, lift those hands high to the Lord. Let's call on his name right now.